building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. This is episode 22, and we're going to title this one, God's Greatest Testimony. My name is Alexander Ortiz. I'm here in the Prevail Studios with Christian Lopez. Hello, hello. How are you, my brother? I'm good, I'm good. Got that chocolate off your teeth? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We kind of started off kind of goofy. We started recording, and I looked at him. He got chocolate on his teeth. (laughs) Like, hello? (laughs) So uh, we had a little bump getting started, but it's always fun. And we're going to have some more fun here, too, because we're in my favorite New, um, New Testament book, and that's the Gospel of John. And primarily, we're going to focus on chapter 5. So get your Bibles ready. I would say get ready to jump in at about uh, verse 30 all the way to the end of chapter 5. So chapter 5 of the Gospel of John from verse 30 all the way to the end. And let me tell you something. The book of John is amazing. I mean, listen to the way that it starts, Christian. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overtake it. Amazing, and I'm, I'm sure that's familiar to all of you out there, but it never ceases to blow me away just exactly how John starts this gospel. And, and he starts it that way because John really takes an interesting approach compared to the other gospels. He's, he's got some points that he's going to make, and some, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is um, um, God's greatest testimony is really threefold. And you'll see when we get to chapter 5, Christian, just exactly what that's going to unravel to be. But John, throughout the Gospel of John, he is very matter-of-fact about the the fact that Jesus is God. And that's just something we cannot escape. That's right. It's something that we cannot ignore, and it's something that we have to accept and believe. You would be amazed to know who we thought was a Christian, or who we think is a Christian— who does not believe that Jesus was God. I mean, we know yeah. there are cults out there. You know, we've, we've dealt with Jehovah Witness, Mormons. They've got really interesting and really out there ideas about who Jesus is, but they don't equate him with God. But make no mistake, people, Jesus came to earth and his ministry, one of his teachings and one of the things that he taught everybody is that I am God. And just in John alone, Christian, right, there's a right. lot of I am statements. Right. I, you know, I am the good shepherd. I am I am uh, uh, um, um, living waters. I am the, the light. I mean, he's he's the great I am. Yeah. And the Jews had a problem with that. And another thing that the, you got to remember about John, the gospel, when we talk about the Jews, and that's the context that we'll be using here in this uh, in this teaching is when he when we refer to the Jews, it's really the leadership. When John talks about the Jews, it's not the Jews in general as a population, but the Jews that John specifically addressed throughout this whole gospel. When he says, when he told the Jews and he addressed the Jews, it's always the leadership. And we're going to see why that's important, because the leadership had a really big problem with Jesus Christ. And not too far after, and we'll get to chapter 5, I promise, but not too far after we just read the beginning of John, those amazing first five verses, we, we swerve right into John the Baptist. And if you guys have been listening pretty 
pretty uh, um, uh, faithfully, you'd know that I've been itching to talk about John the Baptist. And I must confess that in preparation to this, Christian and I were talking about this prior to the episode. Man, I went into some deep rabbit hole when it came to John the Baptist, because I really do feel that John the Baptist is one of those underrated characters of the Scripture. He is. He is. And and so we're going to get into a little bit uh, about him, because God shows up and gives testimony, and John is his first witness, and we'll get to that. But verse 6 of of the chapter 1 of John says, There was a man, having been sent from God, whose name was John, and that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, so that all might believe through him. That's the gospel message. Make no mistake, John the Baptist, when he came, he came and he was bearing witness to the gospel. And the gospel message, as we know it, is life in Christ. That's right. Like we were talking about in our last episode, repenting from your sins, accepting Christ as as your Savior, and receiving the life that Jesus gave us. And in verse 15 of John 1, he even goes on to say that John bore witness about him and cried out about Jesus, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has been ahead of me, for he existed before me. Now, what crazy man is going to be standing out in the desert saying, Here's a guy I was telling you about, and he was here before me because he existed before me. I mean, right. we're, he's obviously referring to Jesus's deity, Jesus being man and being God at the same time. And, and, and that's important. And, and, and John's ministry is very important to make that point that he, he knew. He knew that Jesus was God. He knew that Jesus was God, and this is what he was teaching. And and the Jews accepted this, and we're going to get into that a little bit more too later, because the Jews knew that he was a prophet. I mean, Israel hadn't seen a prophet Christian in 400 years until John the Baptist showed up. That's right. And John the Baptist showed up in an amazing way. His father's name is Zacharias, who was in the temple, and he was serving as a priest. And he was spoke to by one of the messengers of God and told that his wife Elizabeth in her old age was going to have a son and that he was going to be the forerunner to the coming Messiah. Zacharias knew this. Uh, The Israel as a nation knew this because that was an event that happened, a historical event that everyone must have talked about. If you read the account of Zacharias in the temple, I mean, he was in there a long time, and I'm like, where's Zacharias? I mean, what's happened to him? I mean, yeah. he's taken so long, and then when he finally comes out, because he did not believe the word of the messenger of the angel that came to him, his voice was taken away, and they said, surely he has seen a vision. And then his, his wife winds up pregnant with the next prophet of Israel, the first one they had in 400 years. So make no mistake, people, part of the context that we're getting into here when we start the book of John is that they knew that there was something special about this, John. That's right. They knew just from the experience that the father went through, okay, and this miraculous birth, because it was a miracle that she even became pregnant. And we can find Zechariah's prophecy in Luke 1, 67, 80. There's a good exposition about that in those in, in Luke 1, verses 67 to 80. But he's that voice that was crying in the wilderness. And it says it right in verse 19 and 34, that he is that he, I am that voice. They would ask John, who are you? I am that voice crying in the wilderness. Right. And, and that's a direct reference to the prophecy from Isaiah, chapter 40. 
So you wanted to say and something? And not only from Isaiah, from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 1. It, it says it right there. And then after Malachi is done, then you have that 400 period. I mean, Malachi 3, 1 says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. So not just in Isaiah. I mean, it's in the last... Old Testament book. And I'm so glad we're talking about this because John is important. And let's read verse 19 in chapter 1 and 20. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Remember, when we say the Jews, this is the leadership sending priests and Levites down to, to where John is baptizing and preaching. They're saying, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So he testified to the fact that it was not the Messiah that we know Israel was waiting for, because, right. of course, that was also foretold. Right. And, I, and I think we covered that pretty well in our two-part uh, um, episode about the um, understanding the, the covenant, the new covenant, because, I mean, these are Old Testament things that the Jews knew. The Messiah was coming, and here comes John. He shows up on the scene, and he's preaching repentance. He's taking people down to the river, and he's immersing them in water, and it's a, it's a baptism that the Jews are very familiar with because they were taught in the Old Testament that if there was someone outside of Israel that came and wanted to what we would call convert to Judaism, like nowadays, if you want to convert to, to, to become a Jew, it would be a conversion. Well, proselytes is what they called them in those days, and they used to actually share the gospel, or share, sure, share God, I should say, not necessarily the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but when they shared their faith, they made proselytes, they made followers, and, and these people were sometimes not Jewish, and they would baptize them that way by immersing them in water and it was a symbol of totally cleansing themselves yeah. of the world and 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 their kind of entry into the jewish culture into the jewish faith so for jews to show up at a river with john to be baptized that way i mean it was like going down to the lowest level almost like a gentile and saying look i am really in rough shape here i really want to acknowledge my sin and i want to repent from this life that I'm living, repent from my sins, baptize me, John. And this is the service that he that he that he was doing out in the desert. Right, right. A and when Jesus showed up, he he even told him, I, I can't baptize you. Jesus said, Let's do this. It is right so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. And we know that Jesus was without sin. He was without sin. He didn't need to be baptized, but he he confirmed what 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 uh, John the Baptist was doing out in the desert. It was preparing souls. And like our last episode when we talked about repentance, part of the preparation to receive the gospel was to receive uh, uh, um, that truth in your heart. Yeah. That yes, I am a sinner. God reaches out to us with salvation, with a plan of salvation from the very beginning up until now. He wants to see all men saved, but we have to be accepting of who we are. We have to be accepting of our condition, our sinful condition, and repent and turn from those sins, like we taught in our last episode, yeah. and turn to God. And this is what John was doing. He was grabbing people out in the desert who were turning away from their sins and turning back to God. And it says in, in verse 16 of Luke, if you read that from verse 5 to 20, 25, I'll just quote a few, a few verses from that, uh, that chapter in Luke. But it says, 
about John, that verse 15 in Luke 1, 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, which is for a person who comes from the line of priesthood. That's right. I mean, Samson was like that too. When he was predicted that Samson was going to be born to his parents, he, they told him also he will not drink wine or strong drink because he came from the line of Levites. Right, right. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb which is an amazing yeah. thing to consider. Yes. This is a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment that he was conceived in his mother's womb. Now, he wasn't miraculously conceived like Jesus was. It wasn't a virgin birth. Zacharias and his wife conceived a son. It's just that they conceived them so late in their, in their age, almost like the story of Abraham and Sarah, that it was clear to everybody that this was a miracle that had happened. Zacharias sees this vision in the temple, and next thing you know, his wife is pregnant, and he grows up to be a man who's prophesying. Verse 16 of Luke 1, and he will turn many sons back, excuse me, many sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. So his ministry was a ministry of repentance. Right. Verse 17, and he will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So here, John the Baptist served the purpose of preparing, just like he says, he's that voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way. And how was he preparing the way, Christian? Exactly the way we taught in the last episode. That's right. By teaching people that they needed to turn from their sins, that they had to repent from their sins and be prepared for what the Almighty was going to do. Yeah, I mean, he brought he brought the message from the Lord. I mean, he was set apart since the day he was conceived in his mother's womb, you know, like, and this was already prophesied 400 years ago, uh, you know, when uh, Malachi prophesied that in three, in three, one. So it's no, it's no coincidence that he is doing what he's doing and preaching that baptism of repentance. And confirming that he's not the Christ that was coming. As, as we saw, even the Jews, the leadership was wondering, is this the Messiah? I mean, there's an acknowledgement here, Christian, and, and I don't want anyone to miss this. There's an acknowledgement here from the leadership, from the Jewish people, that this guy was a prophet. Right. That, there was, that God was with him because they're sending people down there and say, are you the Messiah? I mean, he, he was doing such awesome yeah. stuff that they thought he was the Messiah. And in John 3, he says in um, verse uh, 20, Eight, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. So he, he, he made it very clear that he was not the Messiah, but that was his witness. His witness was to be there to bear testimony to the coming of Jesus Christ. And you know he was also sent by God and, and stuff like that because any, any man would have taken that credibility and saying like, oh, I am the Christ. I mean, think about the guys that Paul talks about in the New Testament. You know, when they want to take that uh, credibility for being uh, the people that... Um, that people look up to, to receive the gospel. So, I mean, when he asked him that, John could have gotten, <laughs> gone another direction, but instead he's like, I'm not the Christ. And he deflects and he says, I'm not that. I'm just a messenger. Yeah. Now, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a, a little bit so you can kind of get an idea of what John, what was he preaching? I mean, I've said this before. I would love to have been in the desert and listened to one of his sermons. 
Well, here's an idea of what it was like, okay? Let's pick up where I read before, verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. Again, this is chapter 3, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bri- of the bridegroom's voice. And if you guys listen to our podcast when we talk about That's the bride right. of Christ, you should understand who the bridegroom is. The bridegroom is the coming Jesus. And being a friend of the bridegroom, John is talking to himself in that manner. I am the friend of the bridegroom. I, I am happy to be the friend of the bridegroom. And he stands and hears him and rejoices great, greatly, the end of verse 20, 29 here, because of the bridegroom's voice. So his joy is mine and is made full. So he is there to serve the bridegroom, the coming of the bridegroom. And, and this is one of the things that, that blows me away about John. Verse 30, he continues to say, now this is a man with a huge ministry. Right, exactly. Understand this, that he is out there baptizing. The leadership is coming to him. He has a lot of followers. He is an acknowledged prophet in Israel. Hasn't been one in 400 years. And he says, when Jesus shows up, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, how many pastors do you know in the pulpit, in these large churches that fill stadiums and these big mega churches, how many of them would step aside when Jesus show up? I mean, really, let's be honest about that. Here his ministry is huge and he's going like gangbusters here and he's ready to step aside because he's waiting for the Messiah and he's saying he must increase, but I must decrease. It says a lot about the man. Right, right. That he is willing to let go and fulfill his, 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 uh, his destiny, what he was called to do and step aside when it comes to Christ. And not a lot of pastors are stepping aside when it comes to Christ. They're putting themselves front and center and they're becoming more important than the people we, than the person we should be preaching about, which is Christ himself. And let me get off that soapbox because yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't, but you're right though. He didn't hold on to that attention in that, that sort of fame that, that he had as far as people coming to them. I mean, as soon as he saw Jesus, he's like, all right, that's it. My time is up. I'm done. The real guy that you want is here. And I equate that to a preacher stepping up to the pulpit on Sunday. Pay attention, preachers, if you're listening. You step up to the pulpit on Sunday and you push yourself aside. And what is it? Jesus. It's Jesus that you're going to talk about. It's Jesus who you're going to present. And you present that by going through the word of God. But so many other people do so many other things and they, they, they really go in the opposite direction. You know, there's an old story that an old pastor told me that he was preaching once. And, and this is a pastor who is a uh, expositor. He goes right verse by verse and teaches right from the Bible. He's a good, good preacher. And he was telling me that telling the congregation that he was preaching at a church once and it was a black woman in the, in the front row. And she was saying, yes, Yes, raise him, raise him every lift time. Them he did, lift, lift them up, lift them up, lift them up. Did I say this before in a podcast? No, no, you told me. Uh, okay, lift them up. So here's here's Pastor Joe. He's out there preaching, and this woman keeps on interrupting him, saying, "Lift them up, lift them <laughs> up." And then he finally got it. He finally got it. She he, he she was basically telling him, "Yeah, just lift them up." That's what you show up at the pulpit to do—to lift him up. And when John talks about how he must increase and I must decrease, man, I give him all props because who does that? Who puts themselves aside and gives all the glory to Christ? Amen. It takes a lot. And John did this. And he goes on in verse 31 to say, he who comes from above is above all. 
He who is from the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And we can, yeah. that's reminiscent of chapter three where that's we right. talk the Nicodemus conversation, right. ain't it? What you have seen and heard, verse 32, of, of that he bears witness and no one receives his witness. He who receives his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He believes in the Son. Has a, he, believes in, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. I mean, that's the gospel right there. He is basically saying he's coming to give the spirit without measure. And it's like Christ talks about all the time, you're either with me or, or you're against me. You know, you either believe in him or you don't. If you believe in him, your sins are no longer counted against you. But if you don't believe in him, your sins abide on you. They continue on you. You are judged already and you do not have the life. John is an amazing figure in, in, in biblical history, and, and I'm glad that we're giving him his due because he is so often overlooked. And we're going to dig into a little bit more about him and when we get to our, our, our core teaching here, which is in, in chapter 5. But to set a little bit more context, beyond John, this is really in, in John's gospel, the beginning of, of, of Jesus' um, ministry. We go from the voice crying in the wilderness— Okay, to Jesus going into Galilee to preach. He comes across a Samaritan woman, and many Samaritans believe. And these are people that the Jews were not too crazy about, okay? And as a matter of fact, he announces he's the Messiah to the woman at the well before the Jews even hear that, which is an amazing thing. And, and then he also heals the official, uh, a royal official's son. Then he does this healing at, at Beth, um, Bethesda. All right, and this is in John chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 17, and I'll just go from 14 to 17. Afterward, Jesus found him in a temple. Now, this is the guy who's been sitting by this, this, this little pool that there was a kind of a superstition around it that every time it yeah. was stirred, every time it was stirred, someone would jump in there and they would get healed. And behold, he tells him, you become well. He, he heals him, first of all. He heals him, and then the Jews, he confronts, goes before the Jews, and the Jews say, hey, who told you that you can pick up your mat and walk? Because this is a guy for like 38 years was laying by this pool, had no one to help him in, and Jesus shows up and says, you know, get up and walk, take your mat and go. And the Jews see this, and, and they get angry because it's the Sabbath, and they see this man with this um, mat walking. And afterwards, Jesus finds him in a temple after he was questioned by the Jews. And he says, Behold, you have come, become well. He tells them, Do not sin no more so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away, and he goes back to the Jews. And he tells the Jew it was Jesus who made him well because when they questioned him the first time, he didn't know. And Jesus found him again, and now he knows who it was, and now he tells the Jews it was Jesus that made him well. And for this reason, the Jews began persecuting him because, see, now they got something on him. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath? How dare he? Okay, and we see that all in verse 14 to 17 in chapter 5. But Jesus... He, he, they were persecuting because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But then Jesus answers the Jews, and he says, My Father is working until now, and I myself is, are working, they, uh, am working. So he equates himself with the Father. He says, My Father's working on the Sabbath, and I myself am also working 
on uh, on the Sabbath. And then chapter 5 goes into, as a matter of fact, let's go to chapter 5, 17. I think that's actually a good place to start because really from 17 on, Christian, Jesus goes on and he just talks about how he is equal to God. And this is Jesus saying to everyone, I am God. Right. Because in chapter in verse 17 of chapter 5, he goes on and says, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all more to kill him. Because he's not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So understand this, folks. In verse 18 there of chapter 5, the Jews are understanding what Jesus is saying. He is making himself equal equal to God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing from himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the son does, these things the son also does in the same manner. For the father loves the son. And we go back to what John was saying, right? He said that too. The father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Now think about that. That's verse 23 of chapter 5. He's saying everyone will honor the Son as they honor the Father. That is equality with God. He's saying you're going to worship me the way you're going to worship my Father. That's right. That's an amazing claim to make. Let's read on. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. One thing I wanted to mention in verse uh, 18 about Jesus breaking the Sabbath, um, you know, he doesn't necessarily break the Sabbath because that would be the Lord sinning, right? Um, The word breaking actually means loosen. So the Lord actually loosens the Sabbath day. He doesn't necessarily break a Sabbath, but he loosens the restrictions of it because he can do that because he is God. Well, he also says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Right, 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 right. He he claimed that he can do whatever he can on the Sabbath because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And you're right, Christian, he can do these things. He can absolutely do these things. Right. So let's go to the the place where I really wanted to launch into our teaching. We'll skip the whole part of the two resurrections, and let's go down to where it says, um, verse 30. And by the way, before I even go there, let's let's set a little bit more context, because now Jesus is is really going to make an amazing presentation here, because he's made some pretty wild claims right right that he's equal to the father and, and like you just stated there other, uh, elsewhere in the word he states that he's the lord of the sabbath as well too right before you jump into that real quick because I, I do want to add to that with the whole equality to um to jesus i mean there is the jews understood what jesus was saying it, it wasn't like they were kind of getting misled or maybe confused as what he was saying um, because uh, in John chapter uh, 10, 
where Jesus says that I and the Father are one, Mm -hmm. the Jews again pick up stones to stone him, right? And Jesus answered them, and he tells them, he says, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And this is what the Jews say to him. For a good word work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Make himself equal to God. Correct. We were reading through from 17 on. I mean, that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. But see, it's like the scriptures say, Christian, those who have ears, let them hear. That's right. That is what he's saying. And and the sad thing about it is that they should have known that. The problem is that they're having a hard time accepting. We'll see later in, in, ch- in the chapter why, because he's just unwilling to believe him. But understand this, and just to be fair from their perspective, not sure. everyone can show up in a crowd and say, I'm God. Sure. I, it, it's a wild claim. It's a crazy claim. I mean, and from a Jewish perspective, let's put some context around this. From a Jewish perspective, they go back to Deuteronomy 17 and chapter 17 and 19, where the Lord demands two or more witnesses whenever you bring any kind of case about anybody. So, I mean, you know, what proof do you have? You show up Christian in a room and say, I'm God. You say, what proof do you have? People are going to naturally say, what proof do you have? Well, to look at it from a perspective of a Jew, though, Alex, um, you, so when I had a Jehovah's Witness ask me this one time, they, they said, they said, um, cause we were going back and forth debating on whether like Jesus is God or not. And I'm, you know, showing them through scripture and what the Jews are saying here and what Jesus is saying. But he says, how come then Jesus didn't come out flat out and just say, I am God. And if you really understand Jewish context and culture, just like how we did in the one episode with the bridegroom, right? And understanding that, unpacking what the Jews understood about that. If you understand Jewish culture, using the Lord's name in vain and just saying God's name is blasphemy to the Jews. So how do you say I am God without blasphemy? You know what I'm saying? Well, that's the way they. Well, that's the way they saw it. Well, that, and ultimately, that's what nailed Christ to the cross. Correct. They they said this guy is committing blasphemy. He's he's putting himself up as king. Right. So how does Jesus say, "I am God," without saying those specific words, "I am Yahweh"? Oh man. He says, "I am." Before Abraham was, "I am." I and the Father are equal. So in order to elude, when 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 the Jews are asking him this question, even when he was in the temple courts, right, when he was getting per- persecuted before his, you know, the he gets scourged and he, you know, he goes to the the cross they say are you the the, the son of uh, of god or are you the, the 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 holy one or or however they would phrase it they would use phrases to allude of asking the question are you god without saying flat out are you yahweh because of the the context of the jewish people not using god's name you know, out of context and not saying the Lord's name. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes They're They're getting stuck on the fact that here's this Galilean carpenter showing right, up right. and saying, I'm God right, or equal to God or I'm the son of God. I see what the father does and I do it also. And they're getting stuck on that because they're saying, you know, this is blasphemy. Yeah. How can you make that claim? And so let's launch into this because Jesus deals with this masterfully masterfully. He says in verse 30, I can do nothing for myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, then my witness is not true. 
There is another that bears witness about me, and I know that that, wit- that the witness which he gives about me is true. Now, this is where the crux of what we're teaching here. If this is God's greatest testimony, this is Jesus basically showing up and saying, okay, you don't believe me? And you say that my witness is not true? Well, there's someone else that has wants to bear witness about me. And I know that his witness and what the witness he gives about me is true. And that is the heart of what he's saying in verse 30. And it's not that he's saying that my witness is not true because he says in um, John 8, um, verse 12 through 19, somewhere along there, they, the same thing comes up. Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but I have the light of life. So that the Pharisee said to him, are you bearing witness about yourself? Your witness is not true. Jesus answered them and said, even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where you come from or where you are going. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and the Father who sent me, even if your law, excuse me, even in your law, it is written that witnesses, the witness of two men is true. I am he who bears witness about myself. So he's basically saying, you, in the law it says two witnesses make That's things right. true, right? So I'm a witness, and he who bears, I bear witness about myself. And the Father's my second witness who sent me. He bear witness about me. So they were saying to them, to him, who is your father? So they're not getting it. He's saying, oh, you don't believe me? Right. Let me give you two witnesses right. like the law says it's supposed to. Me. I'm witness number one, <laughs> and my father is witness number two. And he's then like, their answer is like, okay, who's your father? And he, Jesus answered him and said, you know neither my father, because if you knew me, then you would know my father also. That's right. And so here in chapter five, what's interesting about this is because he's not bearing witness about himself anymore. Jesus kind of takes a step back from verses 33 all the way to 47, and he presents the case from God's perspective. He no longer is talking about, let me witness for myself and bear witness about me, myself, and my father's got my back. He's going to step back and say, I'm going to give you three witnesses. So let's read 33 all the way down to 47, and then we'll just go on from there. And again, this is chapter 5, 33 to 47. You have, sent, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. But the witness I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness about me that the father has sent me and the father who sent me he has borne witness about me you have neither heard his voice or at any time seen his form and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him whom he sent you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life it is these that bear witness about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do, do not have the love of God in yourselves. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. 
How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if but Moses, excuse me, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how can you believe my words? Now let's break this down. Because Jesus is presenting a case here. And the first witness that he presents, okay, is John. John the Baptist. And from verse 33 to 35, it's all about John. And all we have to do, and going back again to how important John was, I mean, go, you, all you have to do is go back to Luke, and you can see in Luke 20 when, when they, they, they confronted Jesus, they asked him, and, and they basically asked him, who, you know, who do you say that you are? He says, was the baptism of John from heaven and from men? And they don't answer him because they were afraid to go against the crowd. If they said that John's baptism was from heaven, okay, then that would basically um, confirm what John was saying about right, Jesus, that right. he was the Messiah. Remember, John declared, behold, the Lamb of God. So here is John, okay? As a matter of fact, let's go to Luke 20, right? This is where the authority of Jesus is challenged. And it happened in Luke 20, verse 1 through 8, that on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up to him and they spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who is the one who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will ask you a question and you tell me. So he turns it around on him. Okay, verse four, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And look at what they reason within themselves. Verse 5. And they reason among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? Now, why is that so important? If they say, well, John's uh, testimony was from heaven. He was a prophet. Then they also have to believe the fact that John said, behold, the Lamb of right, God. Right, 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 right. Because that's who he was preparing the way for. So John the Baptist was proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. So for them to answer, if we say he's from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? And he's kind of got him there. Then he goes on in verse 6 to say, but if we say he's from men, the people will stone us to death. And that should give you an indication, okay, of just how popular John was. Yeah. That they're afraid to answer either way. If they if, uh, uh, answer in the affirmative and say, yeah, we believe John, then how, then how come you don't believe that I'm the lamb of God? Yeah. But if they say no... Then they're saying they're going against John and then they got the crowd to contend with. Jesus threw the ultimate checkmate. And of course, he goes on to say, so they answered that we don't know. Right. We don't know where he came from. <laughs> Cop out. Checkmate. And Jesus says beautifully, neither will I tell you what authority I do these things. That's the brilliant mind of Christ. It is. But, but I want you to get out of that, that, that Jesus is confirming what John was teaching and he's putting it to them, and they're not seeing it. So, so here we have John the Baptist, who was clearly a, a miraculous prophet that was put there to proclaim and, and prepare the way of the Messiah. They knew this. They knew this, and they would not acknowledge it. The significance and the impact of John's preaching in a religious community, you can see that in what we read. 
they were coming to him for baptism. And, and, and even John addressed these guys. And when they'd come to him, he said, you brood of vipers who warned you that to flee from the wrath to come. So he knew these guys were against him. All right. And, and this whole thing with Elizabeth giving birth, like I said before, everyone knew where John came from. They knew his backstory. They knew he was a prophet. They knew what, his, what he was proclaiming. So here God sends John the Baptist in a miraculous way. He becomes a prophet in Israel and they don't believe him. And that's God's first witness. Jesus is saying, OK, we've sent you John. OK, here he is from verse 33 to 35. Right. He was a lamp that was burning and shining and you were willing to rejoice in his in his for a while in his light. OK. And he did not receive his witness from man. And, and look at verse 34. What was what was John saying? But I say these things so that you may be saved, that that was a message that John. Yeah. Had. Yeah. So from verse 33 to 35, he's basically saying, look, John was sent to you by God. Clearly, you guys know this. The whole the whole nation knows this. You guys won't deny it. And he told you who I am, but yet you will not believe him. Witness number one. Witness number one. And, and, and they won't believe him. So here's God presenting his first witness. And like I said, Deuteronomy says it, that you should present two or more witnesses to make your case. And that's that's witness number one. Witness number two is the miracles of Jesus. Right. That he was performing. Right. Let's read verse 46, 36. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. Now, that's an interesting statement right there. Now, this is the way that the Jews used to write a lot of the text. They go from the lesser to the greater. So John is the lesser. The miracles are, 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 are greater than John. And they're going to continue going up as we go through this chapter. But verse 36, but the witness I have is greater than the witness of John. Okay, so we've established already that you didn't believe John. How about all the stuff that I've been doing? Right, right. Everything that he's been doing. My wife and I were reading scripture together over the weekend. And the weekend's a very special time for us because we sit at the table together in our quiet times and, and we spend a lot of time kind of just talking about the scriptures. And it's really a special time. And if you don't do that with your spouse, if you're married or someone special that you have, you should do that. But we were talking about this. We were talking about the book of Matthew and how Jesus, and it's amazing because Matthew says it in his, in his gospel, how Jesus went throughout the land healing every disease and every sickness. Do you, you must understand that Jesus was healing at a magnitude that was just amazing and incredible. If we think about disease and we think about sickness, and this is what my wife and I were talking about, there must have been not that many people sick because if all these people we know that they were coming by the thousands and thousands to him to get healed. I mean, this man must have been exhausted after a day of ministry. There must have been he pretty much wiped out sickness in the area, a good part of it. How can you deny that? How can you look at a man who's going from county to county, town to town, place to place and healing every step of the way? And we've said this before, the miracles that Jesus uh, um, um performed. I mean, they never denied those things. They would never say, oh, man, these these are all things that the that that are not true. He didn't heal anyone. You know what I mean? If any, they never denied his miracles. Now, they used to accuse him of doing these things with the power of the devil. I mean, we see that in um, in, in verse uh, 
36, right? The miracles performed by Jesus for themselves serving as a clear evidence. This is just one of my notes. Let me read that clear. The miracles Jesus performed spoke for themselves, serving as a clear evidence of the Father working through him. The Jews never desi- never denied the miracles that he performed, but instead they attributed to the demons and to the devil. And this is what I'm saying. In verse 36, Jesus is saying, you've seen the witness and my witness is greater than John. And it's these miracles. It's the works that the father has given me to do. The very works that I do, they bear witness about me. And all they can do is attribute them to the work of the devil. They won't deny them. They won't deny deny them, but they'll say that, oh, the devil is working through him. Right, right. I mean, that's a denial of what I mean, Jesus is basically saying, okay, you want more proof? Here's the second proof. Here's a second witness beside John who's showing up on the scene to show you that my words and my testimony is true. Okay, this is the Father working through me. And the scripture supports the fact because in, in, in Matthew 12, 12 uh, verse 22 to 34, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute. And what do the Pharisees accuse him of? Driving out demons by Beelzebub, yeah, the prince of wild. demons. Mark 3, 22 to 30, Jesus cast out demons and a scribe accused him of being possessed by Beelzebub. The demonic power to perform all these miracles was coming from, from, the de- from demons and from the devil. Same thing, we see that in Luke. They were accusing him of being, these, this power was not coming from God, according to them. Right. According to them, they were denying it. They weren't willing to see that this man was just curing everybody everywhere that he went. Never mind the fact that he was also feeding people. Look at the multitudes that he fed. So Jesus makes a very interesting point here. And, and you can't get away from the fact that if, if the father is working through him, don't these very works that he, that he does, don't they bear witness about him? Right. Verse 37, and the father who sent me, he borne witness about me. You have neither heard his voice or at any time seen him in his form. And this is Jesus saying in, in verse 37, he says, look, you haven't heard God. You haven't seen him. We've talked about this, that conversation with Nicodemus. We talk about what we know. Right. Right. The only one who's come from heaven and can testify about the things of heaven is someone who's been there. Right. And who is that? Christ himself. And he's basically telling him here in verse seven, in verse 37, you haven't seen him, but he has, Jesus has. You can't testify about God. You haven't heard his voice. I have. I mean, if he's doing everything that the Father tells him, do you think God is telling him directly within a, from a Trinitarian standpoint, right, the Father, right. Son, and the Holy Spirit? God speaks. Jesus listens. And he's saying, where have you heard him? You have not heard his voice. You haven't audibly heard him, okay? Now, there is in some instances in the gospel, and let's not get confused here. We can go to John 12, 27, 30. You can just, I'll I'll go to it myself there. But, you know, there have been some occasions where God has spoken, but not, not everybody heard them. Not everyone heard him. And let's just go to uh, John 12. Now my soul has become dismayed, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Jesus is saying, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes out from heaven. I have glorified it. Glorify me, and I will glorify it again. So here's Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's betrayed, before he goes to the cross, and God is talking to him. 
it puts in it puts truth to what he's saying. The father who sent me, I bore, bore witness about me. You haven't heard his voice at any time nor seen him. And here God speaks to him in a garden. And let's Luke three also. Now what happened when all the people were being baptized is where Jesus shows up at the baptism to be baptized by John. And he's praying and the heaven is opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven and said, you are my beloved son in who I am well pleased. So audibly, some people must have heard him. Some were saying, was that thunder? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can't say that, that, that people heard his voice, although he spoke audibly. And even when, when he was up in, with uh, um, uh, Peter, Andrew, and John, in Matthew 17, six days later, jo, uh, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led him up to the high mountain by themselves when he was transfigured before them. And he saw them transf Jesus transfigured and Moses and Elijah there, and, and Jesus is in all his glory. And then a voice comes out of the cloud and tells the apostles, These are my, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Yeah. But this is not, these are not conversations that, that Jesus is referring to in verse 37 that you have not heard them because God has spoken audibly through Jesus' ministry and some people did hear them. Yeah. But generally speaking, has the Israel been spoken to the way the Son is being spoken to by the Father here? No. No. And, and, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing that, that, that we have a man that's going through the countryside healing with the power of God and God is speaking and working directly through him. And they're still not seeing it. Yeah. They're still not willing to believe. Let's take a quick break here and then we'll continue. We are privileged and excited that you joined us today. Please remember to visit our episode notes. They contain links to scripture, any information we reference during the show, and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates. If you want to send us your questions, provide feedback, or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe. Anyone can listen to the show for free everywhere podcasts are available. Click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family. You'll be glad you did. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to our show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for sticking around after the break. We're going to continue here. Let's do a quick recap, though, because we've already, Jesus is presenting a case here, and we've already presented two witnesses. The Father has stepped up here. Jesus has taken a step back, and he's presented John the Baptist, which they acknowledge as being a prophet. They acknowledge his ministry. What they won't acknowledge is his message, and his message was the gospel, and the message was Christ. Then Jesus himself, his ministry, what he was doing, the miracles he was performing. I mean, people were being transformed right in front of them, hands being healed, blind men seeing, people just being transformed miraculously, which is why they could never deny those things, because they saw those things happen. They would blame the devil, 
for giving the power to do it, but yet the miracles Jesus claims give witness about my power, the power that the Father is given and is working through him. That's witness number two. And that is a greater witness than John. So John was a great witness, no question about that. He was great in Israel. He was great among the people. And here's one that's greater that John himself said, he must increase so that I must decrease. Right. And here Jesus shows up, God in man, with the power of God with him, doing amazing and miraculous things. And now we go to an even greater witness. So let's pick up here in verse 39. You search the scripture. Actually, the verse 38 is really where we left off. And you do not have the word abiding in you. For you do not believe him who he sent. Now, when we talk about the word, of course, you guys all know that is the Old Testament. That's what they had. Every Jew had the Old Testament. It was Jesus's Bible. It was the Bible that that the that the Jews used to revere. It's the Bible that the scribes used to meticulously copy. They knew how important the Word of God was. They knew that God spoke through the prophets. They knew that God spoke through Moses. They understood how important the Word of God was. But isn't it amazing that they have the Word of God with them, but yet the Word is not in them? Yeah. And that's proof to all of us that there's a lot of Bibles in the world, people. Can we agree that there's a lot of Bibles in the world? But how many of those Bibles are in people? That's right. Because we're looking at a people here, the Jews, that there was Bibles everywhere. Jews were raised not in secular schools. They were raised in Jewish schools where they were taught right out of the Bible. And their Bible was the Old Testament. Yet the word Jesus says to them in verse 38, and you do not have his word, his being God's word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. And his word is the same God that talked through the prophets. Remember, even Paul acknowledged this later on. He said all of scripture is God breathed. For those of you who think that the Bible is just a book, it is written by men. No, these are men whose pen were put to the paper, but it was God speaking through this men. Jesus is saying here, and you not, do not believe his word because his word does not abide in you. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's these that bear witness about me. So they searched the scriptures and they were fastidious about this kind of stuff. And he points out that despite their despite the, their fastidious effort, they miserably failed to understand the true way to eternal life through the Son of God. It was all there. We covered right, it very well on right. our on our New Covenant two parter, those two episodes where, you know, just look at the sacrificial system. It painted a picture of the sacrifice that God was, the Lamb of God that John talks about, that, that, that he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Well, guess what? He showed up. He showed up, and they should have saw him coming because that temple sacrifice system was a precursor to what Jesus was, God was going to do through Jesus. Right, right. And look at Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. He was giving his only son. Yeah. And, and as a proof to his faith, God didn't let him do that. But, I mean, there's a, there's a, a, a foreshadowing of God sacrificing his own son. These are all things that are in the Scripture, and they should have seen these things. But like verse 40 says, And you were unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. 
Look, you cannot deny the fact that John was an amazing prophet, miraculously put on earth to prepare the coming of the Messiah. Israel recognized that. The leadership recognized that. And you have these miracles. You've got this carpenter from Galilee doing these amazing things, and they are unwilling to believe. Unbelief, people. And we face that even today when we're confronted with the gospel. If you're not a believer and you're confronted with the gospel, your, your belief, your unbelief, your unwillingness not to believe is not because there's no proof. Right, right. There's 100% proof there. There's plenty of proof. And we can see it here with the Jews. There is plenty of proof. They're just unwilling. And that speaks to the nature of man, Christian, how nature's man, the, uh, nature is, is sinful and they just, they're just don't want to let go of their sin. You were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, just going off of that point, like how they just don't want to. I mean, look at how frustrated the Lord is with them. I mean, going back to John 8, I mean, he's telling them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? It's like they don't want to, you know, um, uh, submit to the fact that Jesus is saying who he is. And it's even worse than that, Christian, because not only despite the miracles and, and that Jesus was performing, God was testifying through the Word, testifying through the Old Testament, and they're unwilling to acknowledge the power that he's given his son, yeah. the power of, of what he's doing. And they're also unwilling to, to, to believe the power that God was was demonstrating just in his word because jesus was a fulfillment of those things right right okay so there's unwillingness across the board here not just not to believe what they're seeing with their own eyes or what they hear and what's standing right before them they're also looking at this bible that they revere so much and they're unwilling to believe it because it's just like you said. I mean, you know, it, it, you go on to read it. There is a, a source of frustration here, okay? Because they 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 don't want to believe what the word says. It's not abiding them. It's not living in them. Like I said before, you can have a Bible, but if you don't believe it, it's serving you no purpose. You've got to believe that what it is. It is God's word. It has the ability to change your life. It has the power to change your life. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking of someone that I've been having a lot of conversations with lately who's been struggling in his life. And he's been unwillingness, his unwillingness to yield to the power of God is one that's been going on for years. And he's, God bless him, has been cracking the book open and reading it. And he's realizing it. He's realizing that it's changing him. And, and I remember him telling me, he said, you know what, I've been doing what you said. And, and I can see that by me being in the word and really reading it on a regular basis, I can see that it's changing my life. It's changing my thinking. It's changing who I am. Wow. And I said to him, of course, because it's not just a book. It's God's testimony. It's God speaking directly to you. There's power in that. And, you know, that power was ignored, at least not acknowledged by these these um, leaders. I mean, here you are, you've got John, you've got the word of God, and you're still unwilling 
to believe. And let's go on. And verse 40 says, and you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And he says it, you know, you search the scriptures because you think in them there's life. And there it is. The life is in Christ. John made that very clear. We saw that in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them is eternal life. And these bear witness about me. I mean, there's several places we can go to to see that, right? I mean, look at the road to Emmaus. When those yeah. guys were, were, were coming back from Jerusalem and saying, you know, Jesus, we thought he was the one. And Jesus walks them through scripture and says, look, guys, just look at the scriptures. It, it's about me. And he goes through the whole Old Testament and shows them that it's all about me. You search the scriptures, but guess what? It's about me. Right. It's just that they were unwilling to believe. And you can see that frustration. And Jesus also comes out in, in, uh, in the road to Emmaus because he says, I forget what he calls them, hard-headed or, or, or stubborn. Or, or I forget what the word that he uses. But he was saying, like, well, you guys can't, can't believe it's right there. It's right there. You know, it's, if Jesus had agreed to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted, they would have gave him all the glory that he wanted. And it's, it, we get into that a little bit, too, because when it goes here that it says, verse 41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in yourself. I come in my Father's name. This is Jesus coming in power with the Father, coming with the word of the Father, and they do not receive him. But if another one comes in his own name, you will receive them. Now, I had to do a little bit digging here because it turns out um, verse 42 and verse 43 that I'm saying, what is he talking about that the others come, you would believe him? It turns out Jewish historian Josephus records that there were several messianic pretenders that appeared in the years leading up to A.D. 70. So Jesus is speaking from a standpoint like, look, we, there's been pretenders that have showed up and said that they were the Messiah and they were quick to believe him, apparently. So this verse highlights the, the contrast betw between the Jewish reaction to the true Messiah when he finally does show up with the power of the prophet preparing yeah. the path, with the power of the miracles. But it, it sounds like they were quick and historically when these pretenders showed up that they were quick to believe them, that they were willing to believe these pretenders. It, it kind of makes you understand why these leaders are sending scribes and, and, and Levites to John and saying, are you the one? Because yeah. there must have been a whole bunch of people showing up saying, I'm the Messiah. In history, Josephus says that there's been many up to A.D. 70 that they showed up and, and led a lot of people astray. So Jesus is basically highlighting the fact, look, I'm telling you I'm he and you're unwilling to believe. But some other guy showed up and guess what? You receive them. Which makes me think why they would ask him uh, earlier in, in, in John that uh, can you show us a sign? I mean, I know one of the other ones like, you know, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Um, and then he goes into, you know, talking about Jonah um, or when they ask him, you know, um, uh, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Right. Uh, when he um, cleanses the temple and then Jesus answered him, destroy the sanctuary in three days, I will raise it up. So it's like every time they ask for a, a, a more miraculous sign, uh, because of what you just kind of told about that context behind uh, that, Jesus is like, I am going to show you something. When you destroy this body and I resurrect, that's going to be the ultimate sign. And that's going to be the sign that's going to show you that I am who I've been saying that I am. That's right. 
Now let's go to um, verse 43 here. Um, now let's go to um, verse 41. All right. We left off at 40. You're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life, which is actually a sad statement. If you really th read that solemnly and it, it breaks your heart and you are unwilling to come to me so mm. that you may have life. All that proof and they're unwilling to come to him. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you. Uh-oh, here it comes. I don't receive glory from men, but I know you, verse 42, that you do not have the love of God in yourself. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in his own name, you will receive him. This is them receiving those imposters. But how can you believe, verse 44, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the only God? So here's another accusation, and we've seen this many times. Okay, we've seen this many times where Jesus accused these religious leaders of being more interested in gaining man's approval than God's approval. That, that we saw that, that's clear. I mean, he talks about how they wore the tassels and, and the box with the verses. I forget how you pronounce that. Phylacteries, I think it's called, where they put that, those little boxes with the verse that uh, um, God is one, love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. I mean, they, mm. they walked around with all these, this pretense of being holy and, and, and being so pious, but they did it for self-gain. Yeah. Because they sought the best seat in the room, the best seat at the table. And when they did things, they did it out in the open so that everybody could see. And Jesus is pointing this out. Look, you, another reason why you don't believe is because you're not seeking the glory of God, which is standing before you and me. That's right. Here it is, God's glory. I have seen his glory face to face, and here I am. Every, the word says it. The, the, we read, we, in, a, in 2 Corinthians, when we were teaching that, we talk about when Moses' glory in his face shone. It says it there, that, that, that the glory of God was in Christ. Yeah. And here he is, all the glory that is God manifesting itself in Christ, and they're more interested in the glory and seeking approval of those around them instead of the glory that shows up in his son that's standing right there doing all these wonderful things, preaching from the word, fulfilling scripture as they should know it, yet they're unwilling. Yeah, I mean, to, to, go, to go off of that and, and, and why uh, I believe also that's very true, I mean, you look at John 11. You know, this is why I believe the Pharisees, you know, uh, it, because it, the scripture talks about it. The Pharisees did not want to believe Jesus was God, although they knew the evidence was clear, right? I, I believe they knew the evidence was clear because the signs were there. The witnesses were there to uh, um, and testifying to who Jesus was. But if you look at John 11, verse 47, they plot to kill Jesus, and listen to what it says in 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the Sanhedrin together, the whole council together, and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is doing many signs. So they state, they acknowledge this that he's what I'm doing saying. signs and what wonders. I'm saying. And then verse 48, check this out, because it goes to the point that you're talking about here. If we let him go on like this, all will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they acknowledged that he was indeed doing signs and wonders, especially, especially the one that he did with Lazarus when he raised him from the dead. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one. But they were more concerned about the Romans taking their rights and their earthly freedoms and concerned that all would believe in him. And now, mind you, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were people who often were in conflict, but came 
together to plot to kill Jesus so that these rights wouldn't be taken away from them by the Romans. It's amazing. It, it, well, look, Christian, I mean, we, when we witness about our faith and we share the gospel with people, it's the resistance and the reasons that we see in people and how they just retract from that message any different. Aren't they protecting the things that they love in this world, the things that, that, that grab their attention, that occupy their time? Yeah. It, it's no different. It's the condition of man. Man loves sin, right? It's like the, it says in, in, in the New Testament, Paul talks about this, how we're all under the influence and the power of the, power of the what, slaves and captives to the prince of the power of the air. I mean, this world is, is, the devil has got everybody and dragging them around by the nose. And the sad thing about that is, Christian, is some people like it. Yeah. They put so much importance on all these things that are around them. I mean, here you are talking about it here. They're not denying the miracles. They're seeing the power of God being demonstrated and they're holding on to power. Yeah. And that's more concerning to them. I mean, we're seeing that. Come on, even in, in our own day. Okay, look at the leadership in, in, in our country and in many countries that you see. These guys are not looking out for the people that they claim to be responsible for. They're doing the things that they're doing. Not all of them. I don't want to say that there aren't good people in seats of power. God makes sure that he has a remnant everywhere. But many of them are looking out for themselves. Yeah. And not considering the power of God to use them to really transform people's lives. They're holding on to what they want, and that's their main concern. This is no different here. And, and let's face it, I mean, the Jewish people were living in a, a theocracy. This is, not, this is not a secular nation. I mean, everything revolved around religion. Yeah. And if you were a religious leader, you were getting rich and you had power. That's right. It was hard to let that stuff go. I mean, look at the, the, the rich young ruler that we talked about that confronts Jesus and says, I want to follow you, but he's unwilling to let his riches go. Yeah. This is a guy who's a ruler. I would imagine he's got some influence in the community. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about people in, in, in the seats of power, seats of influence, and that's what's important to them. Yeah, and to go and to go back to what we were t in the beginning when we first started this with John the Baptist, to see how he was willing to give that up that sort of influence that these Pharisees and Sadducees are not willing to give up, that John the Baptist, when he sees the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God, he's like, I must decrease and he must increase. Now remember, John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit from the moment he was in That's the right. room. That's and right. And when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, John jumped in her belly when yeah. Jesus came close proximity. It's like he had a proximity alarm. Oh, the Lord is here. <laughs> And here right. he is as a, as a baby in the womb, and the Son of God shows up, and the baby acknowledges his presence. An infant in the belly, in the belly of his mother can, can see and feel the glory of God just by the Spirit that's been given to him. And here these men are seeing it demonstrated before them. And it goes to show you that the only only those who have the spirit of God, who God puts his spirit in, is is able to understand this. I mean, you know, John the Baptist was able to understand this because he had the spirit of God. Um, these Pharisees are not able to do that because I think we talked about this in a, in a later, like an earlier episode where they, you know, they attributed the whole, the spirit uh, to Beelzebul, right? The, how he was doing that stuff. So they were taking the agent away that allows them to understand who Christ is. And they were attributing that to 
someone that's evil. There were misunderstandings. And misunder- and instead right. of giving Christ the credit that what he was claiming that he was doing was working on behalf of the Father and everything he was doing because the Father was telling him to do right. it, and he was doing it with the power that the Father has given him, instead of acknowledging that and, and, and basking in that glory, yeah. okay, they're turning it away. They're turning it away. It's, it's the depravity of man. It's the sinful condition. And here we have a loving God still reaching out to us. Yeah. Still reaching out to us in that condition and giving us the opportunity to turn from that sin and turn to him. Because make no mistake, one thing is clear when we look at scripture, especially at this text that we're looking at where Jesus is presenting this compelling evidence. The evidence is there. If you believe is because you don't want to. And let me tell you something. God has given him, give everybody the proof that they need to believe. And if you're still unwilling, you know what? It's not because God wants to send you to hell. It's because you're putting yourself there. Sure. Because unwillingness to believe like we're, we're seeing here in these Jewish leaders is the unwillingness that you to, to believe in your life that you're exercising to discount the proof that you see in your life. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening and, and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and your Savior, you don't believe because you don't want to. Yeah. And it's not because there's a lack of proof. And it's not that the Lord of the universe is not reaching down to you and saying, I want to save you from your sins. Just turn from those sins and turn to me. I've provided my son for you. Accept him. Accept the life that he gives you, the life that, that is available to you. You know what I find so interesting about that, too, is that when a person does realize who Jesus is and accept Jesus for who he is, the glory always still goes back to God. I mean, I think of Peter when when uh, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And then he says, you are the Christ. And he says, well, uh, good. Um, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. You know, and it's like the Lord, uh, you know, allows those to... Um, to, to, to see who his son is. And so it's like, even though we're responsible for the fact that, you know, if we decide not to believe in Jesus, that's on our, on us. But the minute that we do believe in Jesus, that is God exercising grace upon a person to receive that and to see that, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Now, Matthew 6, 1, 2 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others or be seen by them. Because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Don't seek your own glory. Don't seek to be glorified in your life when there's a God that you can glorify that's greater than you. This is what they're missing. They're so concerned in receiving this glory and this recognition from others that the person that we should recognize in our lives, people, I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself, I'm speaking to Christian, the person we need to recognize daily in our life is that glorious God that is so full of grace and love in our lives. That's who we need to recognize, not these petty little things around us. It is so stupid, but be practical. We got to be practical and not righteous. Practice that kind of righteousness because that didn't lead these Jews anywhere. It just led them away from the Savior. Yeah, pursuing those things, it led them away from the Savior. Hebrews one three says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact 
representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Let me read that again. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, Jesus Christ, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, the exact representation of his being, God's being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. That's an amazing statement. That's who Jesus is, people. He is God. And make no mistake, this is what Jesus was saying that he was, and they were rejecting that. Let's move on to verse 45 and 47 and close this out, because here's the third witness. And that witness is the word of God. Because it says in verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to my father, the one who will accuse you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, then how can you believe my words? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to add to that by going to Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is the, the story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. And it's worth reading again because it's so important. It speaks to the mindset of the Jew too and where, where they were at. Now, in verse 19 in Luke chapter 16, it says, Now there was a rich man, and he was habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. But a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and desiring to be fed with crumbs, which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being tormented, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus was in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over here to you are not able, and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I am asking you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that they may, be war that they may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So here's a man who's in torment who knows who Lazarus is, and when he's sitting, Lazarus is sitting at the bosom of Abraham, which is another metaphor for, for heaven. He's in splendor. He's in God's glory. He's, he's, he's no longer suffering, but yet the rich man in, and it's not because of his riches. The reason he's sitting there is because he did not believe Moses, because he says, send Lazarus so they can warn my family, my brothers. And Abraham says, no. No. 
the Moses and the prophet are there. Let them hear them. The word is sufficient, people. The word is sufficient to save. And here's a man pleading that someone take him out of this torment. And if they can't take him out of this torment, save those who he loves from suffering the same fate. And Abraham says, no, they've got the word of God. They've got Moses. They've got the prophets. Yeah. And then the rich man says, oh, you don't understand. But if, if, if someone came back from the dead, he'd be persuaded. No, they won't. Because someone did come back from the dead. They didn't believe. And they didn't believe him. If anything, the Jews, when Jesus got resurrected and he he resurrected and he broke out of that grave, they lied about it and said that his body was stolen. So what I love about this story is it emphasizes that even Jesus with, with, with John is a great witness. His miracles were an even greater witness. But the greatest, which he saved for last out of this three witnesses that Jesus is presenting here, the power of God was working through John. It was working through his son and it's working through the word of God. And the Jews would have understood that because they held the word of God in high regard, but they just didn't believe it. And they wanted more proof to your point before, you know, give us a sign, show us more. What more do you want? It's been foretold. Here I am. I'm doing the things that I spoke of. Remember, even John the Baptist, when he was put in jail, says he sent some of his guys and said, hey, my, my, our, our John wanted to know, are you the one? He said, you go back and tell John I'm doing exactly what the scripture yeah. said I'm going to do. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking. You yep. tell John the scripture is being fulfilled. It so even in assuring John the Baptist in his moment of despair and doubt, Jesus is pointing John back to the scripture, said, look, dude, look in the scriptures. The things that I'm doing is exactly what the scripture said I would be doing. Man, that's that's good. Yeah. And here here the rich man is saying, I need something else to keep these people from 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 falling to, in the same faith that I have. No, 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 no. You've got enough. The word of God is yeah. sufficient. It is the greater testimony. It is the greater witness. So the greatest witness that God has, the greatest testimony that God has put forward, because John the Baptist is no longer alive. Jesus is no longer walking the earth as a man, God in man, doing his ministry. Jesus doesn't walk the earth anymore doing any miracles. And even miracles, whatever was left in the early church that he did through the apostles, even those have dissipated. Yeah. Okay, does God still work miracles? Sure, he he can work any miracle that he wants. But the greatest testimony, the greatest thing that God has to convince man, not prophets, not miracles, not men raising from the dead, is the word of God. All you need to do is believe it. That's right. All this rich man needed, Christian, was to be in his Bible. And he would not have suffered this fate. All he needed to know is who God was, and he could find him in the pages of Scripture. Yeah. And he did not go there to seek him. And in, and now that he can't find Jesus, because Jesus, I've said it before, hell is when you go to hell and Jesus is not there and you're looking for him and he's nowhere to be found. This man is in hell and he's looking for Abraham to throw him a rope and it ain't happening. Yeah, there is a chasm that cannot be crossed between suffering and and bliss and joy in God's presence. Yep. From either side, no one can cross over to the other, even if they wanted to. So the greatest testimony that God has, the, the greatest testimony that God has put forward 
is the Word of God. God's greatest testimony is the Bible. Now, in the context of what we've been teaching, they've had the Old Testament. Look at how fortunate we are. Because from forward of the cross, all this has been documented, what Jesus did in his ministry, what the disciples did in his ministry, and how the Spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit, started the church and planted the church, and how it was seeded by men like Paul, Peter, Philip, all these men went out and they spread the Gospels like they were commanded to by Christ to the ends of the earth, and here we are just taking advantage of those benefits. We have a Bible that's not just an Old Testament anymore right, right. that foretold of the Savior, like Jesus said. It's, it speaks of me. We have his story. The Old Testament was a historical narrative. This New Testament, it's almost like an eyewitness account yeah. to everything that happened when Jesus arrived and, and after he left to prepare a place for us. And if you get into eschatology, which is in the book of Revelation, it also tells us and foretells about what's coming. And guess what, folks? In the end, we win. Yeah. We win through yeah. all this suffering and everything that's going on. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to be like Lazarus in the bosom of not Abraham, but Christ himself at that feast table with him. And that's the peace that we have through Scripture. But I love this, I love this chapter because it, from the lesser to the greater, we go from John. We go to the miracles of Jesus, and those are wonderful, and those are great enough. But the greatest thing we have is this Bible, Christian, the yeah. one that we teach from all the time, the one that we lift up high and hold in such high regard because it's all that you need. It's all that you need. Will we see Jesus one day? Will we be in his presence? Absolutely. And I can't wait for that. But until then, we've got him right here. That's right. And the power that is in this book to save is undeniable. I mean, we read it right there in that Lazarus and, and the rich man. I mean, that's all you need. They've got Moses and the prophets. What else do they want? Yeah. What else do you need? Yeah. Someone rising from the dead and going to convince nobody. This is why Jesus says in there, the words do not abide in you. They don't abide in you because you don't have the word in you. Now, say it again. There's a lot of Bibles out there, but how many Bibles are in people's hearts? You got to pick it up. I was speaking to someone today who's struggling with addiction. And it's a person I love very much. And I've been really, really trying to encourage this person they know the gospel they know the gospel and they battled with this stuff for many many years this is not the first time that they fall down and try to get up from from this addiction that they have and all i keep drilling into them is look pick up that bible every day and read it make sure that it's priority number one in your life because you've been at this already a few times and nothing you've done has transformed your life. This can. This can. There's power in this. The same power we saw demonstrated in John, the same power that we saw demonstrated in Jesus and his miracle, the same power that we saw demonstrated that came into that that was fulfilled through Christ and was fulfilled on that cross. The same power that took Jesus out of the grave is the same power that I keep on encouraging this person that you need to put in your hands every day. That power can lift you from your circumstances. And it's a power that's beyond you. When you failed and come to the end of yourself, that power can lift you. 
And I love the way this chapter we just went through, chapter five, just lifts up that 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 the greatest testimony is what God has said. And God has spoken and he has spoken in one place. And that is the word of God. That's the Bible. And we have it. Don't neglect it. That's right. Don't neglect it. And I get excited talking about this, Christian, I know. <laughs> because I believe it with my heart of hearts that there's power in this. It's not just a book. There's power to transform your life here. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you're trying to lift yourself up from the floor from, to to get past whatever that circumstance is, lift up that word of God every day. Just read it. You don't have to see the solution right away. It'll come to you. The same power that was in Christ, the same power that was in John, the same power that that was... that was demonstrated in front of all these people when Jesus walked the earth is the same power that you hold in your hands in a book. No other religion can claim that Christian. No, I don't care what religion book you throw at me. It just doesn't have that power or the authority. If anything, those books, all they do is dictate to you and say, you must do this. You must do that. And, and, and it's just, a book of works. These are all things that you have to do in order to get this. You lift up this book every day, people. There's nothing that you have to do except read it and believe it. Like Jesus said here to them, the reason you don't believe is because the word does not abide in you. So how does the word get to abide in you? You've got to take it in every day like nourishment. I can't encourage you enough. And I was eager to get to this part because as much as, as wonderful as Jesus' ministry is, and there's a lot that, that was, that went on there that we will all say to ourselves at some point in our life, I wish I was there to see all of that. You know what? That's a wonderful thought. And it would have been awesome to be there and see Christ doing all these wonderful things from the perspective of knowing that he was who he said he was, the son of God, God himself in the flesh coming here to save humanity. All we have to do is be willing to turn from our sins and believe and have the life that he came to give us. We have something even more special. We have that fulfilled in our hands in this book. We'll see Jesus eventually. But that joy that we have in this book, we need to share that joy. Like I was sharing it with this person who's dealing with addiction. I really do believe, Christian, that that can save them. Amen. They just have to be willing to believe it. That's right. You can't underestimate the power of God. You just got, just got to let him work through. Look at what he did through Christ. Christ said it in, in the scripture, the, the things that I do, they're, they're, some of you would do greater things. Let me tell you something. If that person can break addiction because every day they're in their Bible and that Bible transformed their life and that addiction no longer is an issue in their life and it's not something that's going to kill and destroy them, that's a great miracle. That's right. That's the miracle to save a life. All they have to do is be willing to believe. And I don't want to beat that down like a dead horse, but I'm passionate about it because I believe this book, people, and you guys need to believe it as well, too. And if you're not as excited as I am about it, then get there because it's that passion that you share with people. You may stumble through some of the things that you say and even make some mistakes like we do on this podcast. (laughs) I'll speak for myself, Christian. I don't want to say you're making mistakes, but I know I blundered through some of these things. But let me tell you something. My conviction is real, and I think it's something that you cannot deny. I believe in this book. I believe in this book, and I think there's not enough people that do. And man, if there were more that believed this book the way that I believe it, with the conviction I have in my heart, man, what a world that would be. What a world that would be. People that wouldn't look to the world for solutions, but look to God for everything. 
and get exactly what's perfect and what they need. Yeah. You know, what a perfect world that would be. And you guys can have that. And I'm going to hand it back to you. Nah, I'm out of breath. You're good. <laughs> that was good, man. That was good. I mean, just a, a couple of points to what you were saying is like, you know, Jesus always attests back to the word. He always attested back to the word. I mean, um, you know, when he's in the temple and he reads from the book of, I think it was uh, Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, he opens that up and he starts reading it and yes, they yes. like sh shove him off the cliff. I mean, Jesus was a perfect representation of that. I mean, in the parable that you read of the rich man and Lazarus, always went and pointed back to the word. Um, you know, God in the in, in the Old Testament, God always pointed Joshua where when he took over to the word. Meditate on it night and day. It was that it was that important. It was that important to God for man to be in God's word. And one of the greatest miracles God could have ever done for humanity was to come down in the flesh and to die for humanity and then to take what was done there and record it in the word. That is one of the greatest miracles God could have ever done from humanity. Besides, obviously, Jesus dying on the cross and saving us from sin. It's like God took it a step further and is like, you know what? I'm going to record it. And this is going to be my word for my people to hear and to listen and to believe. And if they believe, it's transformative. That's an amazing miracle in itself. And don't get it twisted, Christian, because let me tell you something. The angels look at what God is doing and they're amazed. That's and, right. And they, they wonder at what God has done. That's right. You know, as great as, like you said, the Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was, and it was life-giving for us, more his resurrection than anything, because that's the life that we attain to. The angels look at this who, who have no idea what sin is because they're without sin and they have no idea what redemption is because they've never been redeemed. We yeah. understand those things. Yeah, yeah. Because God manifested his, his loving kindness towards us and his forgiveness towards us and, and we love him for it. And angels look at that and go, wow. Yeah. We've never experienced that. Dude, this miracle is happening in lives every day in yours. That's right. When you came to the Lord and in mine. The issue is the people out there, are. Do they, you guys have miracles in your life? And are you affecting with the same passion that we have for the word, those around you to understand what we're talking yeah. about here? You know, John says in, in, in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John that there are many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. And this is verse 30 to 31, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you have life in his name. So towards the end of the book of John, he closes out and he says those wonderful, wonderful words that the reason that John even wrote all this down is so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. And as we saw very clearly in chapter 5, that he's God. And if you don't believe he's God, then you've got a problem. Yeah, a big one, a big one. I mean, you can believe that he's God and not believe in him as your Savior. But if you believe if you believe he's your Savior, but you don't believe in God, then you're talking about Jehovah Witness, Mormon. That's yeah, a cult. Yeah. Our Savior is God himself. And you've got to believe that. Like he says in John 20, verse 27, do, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Yeah. And like that father who had his son healed in, in Mark 9 by Jesus, and immediately the boy's father cried out to Jesus and was saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah. 
So if you have some unbelief, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let his spirit change you through his word and let him help you in your unbelief. Yeah, yeah. This is important stuff. It's called the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast for a reason because the Bible is that important. Yep. It really is something that we have to be really relentless in, in having have it part be a part of our lives every day. And that takes some effort, but it's an effort you have to make. And if you're struggling with that, ask God to help you with that unbelief so that you can be in your word every day. And if you get that out of it, folks, listening to this podcast, Alex and Christian said I should be in this book every day. I'm going to do that. If you can do that, man, that would be an answer to prayer. Amen. Because I guarantee you, if you're out there making a decision like that, that's going to change your life. And it's what the Lord would want you to do anyway, you know? The treasures that are in that decision are life-changing and eternal. Yeah, forget it. Forget it. Uh, forget about us, like, you know, encouraging you to do it. I mean, this is something that the Lord encourages people to do. Read his word, you know, and open the word. Yeah, and like we saw, we, we read in chap in that chapter 5 and 45 through verse 47, Jesus says, it's going to be Moses who accuses you. I mean, Jesus is going to stand by and say, you know what? I don't accuse you. It's the word of God that's going to accuse you. It's that important. And we're going to leave it there because I can go on forever about this. I get excited about the book of John. I get excited about this book, period. And I hope that that excitement comes through and it's contagious. And you guys carry that forward as well. So we're going to leave it there. We're going to thank you for joining us. Christian, thank you for everything that no, you thank do. Thank you, Alex. Thank this you was for, great. And, and let me tell you something, folks. Join us next time. We'll have more stuff for you. And we just want to be so grateful and, and appreciative of the time that you do give us to put us in your ears to listen well to this conversation that we have every month and to join us in that conversation and hopefully it's a conversation we'll continue to have together and be encouraged by so god bless you guys we love you god bless you and we'll see you next time thank you for joining us today we pray that we have been an encouragement to you this episode has been made possible by listeners like you please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes, or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the Support This Show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode, and remember to always be in God's Word and stay Relentlessly Biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios.